Another episode of Loot Time. Yes, we are. So, God, two weeks ago we talked about artifacts. It was part one of our Loot Crate uh, theme for artifacts. We talked about the Infinity Stones at excessive length. Mm-hmm. And we talked about uh, Lord of the Rings very literally because our brains were not into uh <laughs> lord of the rings as it was as, into marvel yeah i know so it's really <laughs> weird so but yeah we thought we'd bring it back for part two got a few more franchises under our belt legend of zelda and dark crystal mm-hmm. um but first um let's talk about a few more favorite artifacts so growing up did you play tomb raider uh no no um why not? The first Tomb Raider game I think I ever played was uh, the Tomb Raider, the one, the reboot one that they had a couple of years ago for like really? the Xbox you 360. Never played like the originals. I, no, the the first game system that my brother and I ever had was a Nintendo 64. Oh, never that's had the sad. PlayStation. Dude, and... I played Tomb Raider on my computer. Yeah, on my computer. I'll tell you this: between Tomb Raider one, two, and three. Uh huh. Two was probably my favorite. I had that game memorized, like, back and forth. Yeah. And the best part was finding all the artifacts. Like, all the hidden gems everywhere across the universe. And it's just like, you know, unfortunately now, you can go back, you can find stuff, they're open world. Back Mm -hmm. then, if you missed an artifact, that was it. You had to start over. Really? You run past it, and that's that's it. There's no going back in old school. Just be... Oh well, yeah, I Old suppose. Games, that's what it was. So that's why that's why you, that's why I played it so many times and memorized where everything was. But it was such a fun game, and just knowing where everything was was half the battle because you could watch your friends play and be like, "Ah, you missed the artifact there." It was like you was, seriously didn't know where you're supposed to go for that artifact. Well, I I think that's what got me into those type of games, just hunting down where things were and finding things and solving puzzles. Cause that was the big thing with Tomb Raider two was uh-huh. solving all the puzzles. But one of the funny things about Tomb Raider one is that's, that's what that game was about was finding artifacts, actually being a Tomb Raider. There wasn't shoot all the bad guys. Yeah. She had her, her explore gun, and you know, yeah. she had her guns and there were people, but I'll tell you this up until the very end of the game, like the last couple levels, there uh-huh. were no bad guys. It was literally just, now you had like cheetahs, Mm-hmm. You had a kill that would maul you and eat you, or of course, you know, yes, uh, <laughs> those were the bad guys. Uh, was, that's what it was. And then at the very end, there was the Tyrannosaurus Rex that tried eating you. Interesting. And it took like seven or eight grenade launcher shots it, at it to, yeah. to kill. I mean, if you didn't have any grenades left, then it would just be sitting there hours on end, running around shooting you with your pistols or shotguns. Slowly but surely, shotguns didn't go far enough, so you'd be too close to the. The T Rex, you're probably gonna get killed. So, yeah. But those were some amazing games just to play. And the cool thing was, is just like all old school games, uh-huh. there was you know a code to get unlimited lives or all the weapons or something like that. You know what mm-hmm. Lara Croft's was? Huh? One step forward, one step back, turn around three times, and do a backflip. Really? Yep. 
and you got yourself all the all the bullets, all the guns, everything. Really? Yeah, it's kind of like you know the contra up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, left, right, A, B, start, select. I mean, every game back then had a, had its kinda, own had secret, its own little secret code, and that that's what's Tomb Raiders. That's what I remember. I mean, was there was there a game that you liked hunting for artifacts or something that kind of jumps out that was a game of of interest that you would play over and over and over again and just knew where everything was and just wanted to go back and play it because it was such a fun game uh i'm gonna be pretty i'm not gonna go too retro with this but i will say that it was it was a a key part with with video games for me was uh batman arkham asylum all right because uh the level of exploration and detective work that you had to do at the time and it was just Hunting the Riddler trophies. Yeah, the Riddler trophies yeah. were amazing. And there some of those things were hard. Right. Especially the ones with like the remote control battering. Yep. Where you'd have to like guide it around and then you'd have to turn around, go the other way, mm-hmm. and then you have to go through the electricity, yep. hit the thing, and then it would take you a hundred times just to accomplish it. Yep. Just to get a stupid Riddler trophy. And then he he upped the ante in uh, Arkham City where you had to collect enough Riddler trophies to save Oops, save hostages. Oh in yeah, the, that's in right. The yep, one. yep, yep, yep. And I was like, wow. I just like how some of the Riddler trophies were as easy as, hey, go here, shoot your battering, and collect right. it. And then the other ones were just like you step on this pressure point, and then it opens up the cage, and, and you then just you grab shoot it. the yeah, yeah. That was it. I mean, it seemed like the and and they weren't in any particular order. A lot of no. games, you know, as you progress through the game stuff gets harder right but in arkham it was like here's the really easy one and then the next one you're gonna do is really the most impossible one you could possibly imagine and i think it was the battering ones the battering ones were the most impossible ones those pressure sensor ones i could handle and 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 Mm -hmm. do and and get through but just guiding the remote control battering was a little difficult for me at first and then if it gets too far away that it It dies dies out out. yeah just not really and it was it was not only the riddler trophies it was the riddles itself like you'd enter a room and then you're just like okay like where is it like the uh first i remember the first one was was super easy for me uh when i came across it was in arkham asylum you took care of these three uh crooks or whatever and there's a portrait of sharp the dude who ran arkham asylum and there's the secret room if you ever found it uh to sharp's office in arkham asylum it was when you were rescuing the doctor that was trying to get rid of the venom of bane because joker wanted it and whatnot so if you go like through her office there is just a plain wall but if you put um the uh, gel uh the explosive gel explosive gel on three different parts of just this plain wall if you get it correctly and blow it up it's a secret entrance the sharp secret office oh, nice. and there's blueprints on the wall for arkham city oh wow in arkham asylum that's awesome was it one of those things where you can go into detective mode because usually if you go into detective mode you can tell what walls can be blown up was it not one of those either no you just had it you just had enough yeah i don't there was it was an article i think when arkham city came out that someone had actually found the easter egg because it's like when you were in detective mode it just looked like a plain wall yeah and it was there like under everyone's noses and no one knew about it who who would figure to put sticky gel right there i know and yeah, Easter eggs have become a really big thing now. Like, 
I don't know if like back in the day, like Easter eggs were like, oh, did you catch that in that movie or catch that reference? And mm-hmm. that was, you know, consider an Easter egg. Now it's like in all movies and games, it's all about Easter eggs. It's like, what can we put in a movie? I don't even know if it can be considered an Easter egg anymore. Now it's right. like just a part of the movie. Like, oh, let's make mention of this because it'll be cool. And you already know it's it's there. It's not hidden. It's not like mm-hmm. you had to watch the movie 20 times to, to, to find catch, it and catch the reference. And now the new movie, Ready Player One. It's just full. It's, it's just, it's, I don't even, you can't call it Easter eggs. Because it's, it's, it's written just, in the book. It's, it's as... written in the book. That's what it is. It's like you're not finding Easter eggs. You're just these are all like, this wow, is all the nostalgia battle codes. In. Like, yeah, I mean, you could find it. You could see it. It's not hidden anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's. I mean, that was a phenomenal movie, and I caught probably ninety percent of the references my first time watching it. Yeah, I'll probably watch it again to see what else I can, I can catch and see what I can. That you missed from your first from the first one, but dude, that movie I'm owning, I'm buying that. Movie. Yeah, if 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 I don't get the chance to see it in theaters, it's for sure going to be one of those movies that I'm not going to pass up and I'm going to buy. Yeah, you can just come over to my house and watch. We it. can watch it. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Fifty times. Yeah, you know we'll watch it on a loop. You can't yeah. fall asleep. Have her eyes open up like in a Clockwork Orange, where her eyes are just like open, and have someone just. Water, water droplets. drops. You gotta stay open. You gotta watch this movie. You start going and saying like, "Oh God, you cannot fall asleep." <laughs> right. So artifacts are are definitely a big part of pop culture. Finding finding mm-hmm. things. I think that's kind of the biggest thing in like the nerd world is if you write a comic book, you have a movie. You know, it's it's artifacts. It's finding things. And one of the earliest um, artifacts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you, since you did all the hunting for this one, you can, you can start if you want, Okay. but it looks like, um, dark crystal mm-hmm. came up for legend of Zelda. So I'd have to say as artifacts go, mm-hmm. start with dark start crystal, with dark crystal. Cause I could do that. You know, artifacts being found in 1982 compared, compared to, to 1986 uh, when the, just a few years, a few years, different. uh, just a, uh, for any of you who don't know what the Dark Crystal is. I uh, don't. I Well, I know a little bit about it, but just to be honest, I've never actually seen it. You've never actually was, seen the Dark I Crystal? Was more, I was more of a Labyrinth guy Holy than crap. a Dark Crystal guy. You have not seen the Dark Crystal. No, that's why we were going to watch it downstairs, but apparently when it says Prime Video and it's and not, it's not Prime, listed. Yeah, that kind of sucks. That's when we're... Gonna have to get it on Amazon or something. I, like, I mean, like get the physical copy. Or yeah, something. someone's got to have it. Someone, someone's got to have it because on VHS. I'm only gonna watch it on VHS. I only watch we movies actually, from the '80s on VHS. Uh, growing up, it was the plastic casing. Remember yes. those? Yeah. Uh, we had that. Uh, my brother and I, as kids, we we had the the old big bulky plastic casing that had that certain smell to it. Yep. The VHS tape of the Dark Crystal. And it sometimes it'd be really hard to open because just the way they clasp on there. Yep, and then, then it'd the, worn out and they won't shut. Yep, and then the VHS is in the, encased in the like the molding of it, like instead of it just sliding out or anything. Yeah. It's encased in the molding. God, man, those were the days. Now they come in these thin sleeves of blu-ray discs and 4k and well you can fit more on your shelf that's what I. that's like. true you could fit like a hundred like i i love my favorite thing was going to like best buy to buy uh-huh. my buy my movie shelves uh-huh. and it would say on on it like you know 50 vhs tapes 120 dvds 
like 500 CDs. Like, be like, it's like they took the measurement uh-huh. and and measured the shelves. Okay, this is how many can fit. But the funny thing is, is nowadays with all your special collections and stuff, like they're they're thin. They're like, yeah, this is three movies in one. Yeah, but this this takes up more space than a DVD would, and right. more space than a Blu-ray would. But your numbers might be a little bit off because you could have a lot of Blu-rays that are this thin, but then you get like collections that are this big, mm-hmm. and now your whole bookshelf is thrown off course because you're the size, you're the size, yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah, Dark Crystal. We could start there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, if since I don't know, tell me about it. The plot revolves around Jen, an F-like Gelfling, on a quest to restore balance to his alien world by returning the lost shard of a powerful but broken gem. Wow. So this didn't take place on Earth. This was this was another alien. Mis- yeah, another mystical force. This was uh, um, produced. I can't think of his name. Uh. Was it Gary Kurtz? It was, yeah, Gary Kurtz. He was a producer on The Empire Strikes Back, an okay. American graffiti. He worked with Henson on uh, The Dark Crystal. Yeah, and Frank Oz. And Frank Oz. You know, the best in the biz when it comes to puppets and voices. And there is something uh, that I will get to later on. But uh, one of the facts... That I'll read is, well, I'll get to that later on. But the first one is, illustrator Brian Frode was discovered by Jim Henson six years before The Dark Crystal was released. And what did he work on? Uh, Henson saw some art from the British illustrator in a book called Once Upon a Time and soon asked him to collaborate. The movie was a combination of imagery from the minds of both Henson and I think it's fraud, Frode, F R O U D. I'm not Frude. Frude. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to say it, but Henson credited uh, Frude with developing the Dark Crystal's symbolic structure. Because when you uh, when you watch the movie, it's very dark. It's dark. It's kind of gritty, and the designs of it are. Now, with it being Jim Henson, is it still considered a kids' movie? Uh, I mean, we have puppets and it Muppets is, and... but it is actually a, a pretty messed up. Like they, there is the little elfling people. Uh, there's these really ugly looking bird like creatures. I'm telling you, and they have really <laughs> ugly voices. And uh, but they steal the essence from these beings. They strap them down in a chair, and like they make them like, like they open up this door, and it's like the dark crystal and like they're they're stuck staring at it and, and there's steals like their soul yeah like it it's like draining them of their essence because there's there's like an iv and then it's like dripping into like this jar which makes the uh um the the, the villains of the movie younger so oh wow it, yeah so they steal the essence from these these elflings as an anti-aging type of are these kids movies today uh I, mean, I think these would be too offensive for today's generation so maybe. sad it's very dark of a movie it's one of the uh uh facts that i'll get to is that uh he based it off of the Grimm's brothers tales oh, okay. and uh was took a heavy in uh 
uh, influence from the tales itself. So that's why it was kind of a little dark the way oh, it was. Right. Well, that's what those books were really meant to be. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of turned them more friendly to read them to kids, but... And I remember it just watching it as a kid, too. I was a little freaked out watching this movie. Like, this... Well, that's good. That's how kids should be. Freaked out Just while freaked out. Like, movies. man, why am I watching this? Like, I'm freaking out. Like... Well, it's kind of like the labyrinth. That's, yeah, that's why I like the labyrinth. David mm. Bowie kidnapping a little kid and right. the girl running through the labyrinth trying to you know find them but it's just i mean it's crazy and dark and right and it was like uh one one of the scenes that freaked me out when they're like uh trying to figure out like which door to go through or whatever and they went through and it was like all the hands or whatever yeah yeah through the wrong one yep yep and then uh one scene that was my favorite as a kid was ludo when he was he was howling to bring up the rocks in the swamp, and he yep. it was the farting rocks, yep. the farting swamp. <laughs> that was that was my favorite. Uh, but um, one of the other one was uh, Henson wrote the movie's original outline while snowed in at a hotel. Kind of reminds me of the scenario of like the, the Shining. Shining. That's probably why it got all creepy. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to be he trapped went cra- in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. Elevator of blood and everything. Like, Yeah, I think if you're a writer uh, and you want to write a really creepy movie. That's what you got to do. You just got to go to a mountainous town in the uh-huh. middle of nowhere and yep. just spend the night. You'll wake up in the morning. And he was snow. snowed in at the hotel. Man, I should have wrote a movie when I was in Telluride. Because we got we got snowed in. Like the uh-huh. pass got snowed in and we were trapped in Telluride. Uh-huh. And the power went out. I should have just cracked open a notebook and just wrote a story. It would have been the best one ever. Well, shoot. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what you just got to do now is maybe next winter go up north or go out to Colorado or... And just get trapped. And just get trapped. See that there's going to be a snowstorm in the next couple of days, travel there beforehand. Well, I mean, it could be the same thing as here because, you know, when it snows in Minnesota, you're like, ugh, I don't want to go outside. Right. Just hunker down. Enough, hunker down. And, and start writing. Start writing. You could boil down probably the scariest puppet movie ever. Because it goes on to say on February 6th of 1978, Henson and his daughter Cheryl were forced to spend the night at a Howard Johnson's <laughs> at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City in the midst of a blizzard. With little else to do, Henson hand-wrote multiple pages of the movie's outline for screenwriter David O'Dell to work with. In what year? 1978. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that movie was written well before it was released then. Yes. So it was It was one of those movies where you kind of sat on it. Yep. And, because there was another one, too, is that initially the first screening of the version of The Dark Crystal was uh, heavily uh, hated by the the audience reaction, the first. Uh, oh, okay. And that might have been why it was such a, you know, cult classic now. Is, mm-hmm. You know, it's like one of those movies that really, you know, come out where people are like, ooh, I don't know if I should be watching this or, right. or you know what I mean? And then they just kind of get lost for a while. Like and I know, all of a sudden yeah. someone finds it's kind of like the Donnie Darko thing too. Like oh, that when that a... movie came out, everyone mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, this is stupid," and then a bunch of people saw it and was like, "What do you mean this is stupid?" And then they became like, you know, the a cult, cult. Yeah. cult hit. Yeah, because they they probably saw like you know it's it's Jim Henson and anything related to Jim Henson like Should the Muppets. Be happy and... and then they go and see the Dark Crystal. We're like, that's pretty dark. 
Like, I don't want my kid watching he this. He obviously wrote this while trapped in a hotel. While snowed <laughs> in. Shining reference. Like, it goes on to say that the original Grimm's fairy tales were also an influence. Frank Oz recalled that Henson wasn't afraid to possibly scare the children who were <laughs> his fans from the Muppet movies and his puppets from Sesame Street. Yeah. He wanted to get back to the darkness, quote-unquote, of the original stories by the Brothers Grimm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you just can't write for kids all the time. And, I mean, why not turn your puppets into... Like demons, demons and, and evil? Stealing the essence of, of being human... Be- like, not human beings, but of living creatures. Like, uh, And did you also know that it was Frank Oz's first directing job? Oh, I did not. So he was doing voices up until then. Yeah. Because didn't he do the voice of uh, Yoda? Yeah, he did Yoda, same as Fozzie Bear, because that's why Yoda sounded like Fozzie. That kind of creeped me out a lot, watching Star Wars and being like, why is Fozzie and Yoda? (laughs) Are they related? They must be related. (laughs) Uh, It goes on to say, in addition to the famous puppeteer performing uh, in the film, Oz accepted Henson's request to co-direct the film. Oz estimated that uh, Henson helmed 70% of the movie. Um, having two directors was so confusing and slowed things down for the crew so much that an assistant director was tasked with informing Henson and Oz that everybody wanted Henson to direct himself, and he denied the request. Well, it makes sense. I mean, nowadays it seems like dual directors is what a lot of people do on movies. I mean, not all the time, but, you know, having two directors, especially if you're on the same vision, like you, Mm -hmm. you created it together and you had the same vision. Now... I wonder if they were trying to record separately. Right. Like, hey, we got to do this scene and we got to do this scene. Okay, you you go do this scene, you go do this scene, and then we'll edit them later and see how they find. Maybe that's what people were confused about. Like, right. Like, why aren't they in the same room doing I'm confused of what time? I'm supposed to be doing. Like, What if you're on the same vision and yeah. you're following the script? I mean, does it really matter? I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily think that you know, I mean, if you're both the same director and you're directing a scene at the same time, I think mm-hmm. that'd be helpful. Right. I mean, granted, maybe the actors might not think so, or the puppeteers, I guess, at this mm-hmm. point would not think so. Like, so are we moving on to the next scene? Because, like, what if someone is saying, okay, we're moving on to the next scene, but then, like, the other person has yep. responded. And was the majority of the movie puppets? Yeah. Like, the, like there, how many humans were in it? Like None. Everything none? was, like... Either everything people, was puppets. Yeah, everything was puppets. Either people were like in suits or people like it was like puppets. Okay. Yeah. So no humans. No humans. No humans were made in the making of this movie. No humans were hurt during the making of this movie. Maybe maybe puppets. But puppets everything was like in its own. Okay. Uh, Henson modeled the uh, Skeksis. That's the name of that's that bird-like creature on the poster. Okay. Those are the Skeksis. Yeah, on the seven deadly sins. Ooh. He modeled them after the seven deadly sins. So there were seven of them. Yes, that would be wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony. 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 My bad. Gluttony. Gluttony. Well, that might <laughs> right. be a sin too. Yeah, eating all gluten. that gluten. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since there were more than seven of them, however, some of these sins were repeated. Um, 
And these parts were part uh, reptile, predatory, bird, and dragon. So I guess that kind of puts into their design. Reptile, yeah. dragon, and birds. Because they do have kind of like a head, like a vulture type of of look. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. So as far as uh, artifacts go, since that's that's the theme we're getting into, mm-hmm. was was the souls the artifacts, or were there other artifacts that they were trying to collect? Or was the essence? The essence the, was the artifact, or was the dark crystal the artifact? I think the dark crystal, because it's it's been a while since I've seen it, but the dark crystal because the 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 uh, Gelfling that is the main character is with these these elders. And he gives them this little shard of the crystal. And it was like the little shard of this crystal that like turned everything bad. So like just that little piece of this whole crystal was yep. taken out. Okay. And then everything just took a turn for the worse. So I don't want to tr- spoil anything too much. So were they were they trying to put the shard back into the crystal? Uh yes. make it whole? Yes. That was that was their main Their main objective. Yes. So and, not to not to destroy the crystal. Right. So, but see, that leads me back to the to the stones, Beca- the, like the infinity stones. Would right. you destroy the stones and get rid of them completely? Because they, the Skeksis, wanted you know keep the things the way that they wanted. They yeah. wanted to get younger from stealing the essence of these Gelflings and all the other mammals that are in the area. But then the elders with the little shard crystals, you know, they got to turn everything back. And- all right. And give everyone their uh, essence back. Yeah, because you know, then they're turned and thrown into a dungeon and slaves and all that stuff. And nobody wants to live in a dark world where their essence is stolen. While you have these prime rulers that are, you know, doing nothing but bad stuff for themselves that are benefits for them. Man, I'm definitely gonna have to see this. Uh, see this movie. If you're a fan of Jim Henson. Yeah, I love Jim Henson. I mean, he did he did Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I love all the Muppet movies. And he did, um, what was um, on HBO uh, in the late 80s? I think it was on HBO. It was something rock. Um, You're thinking Fraggle Rock? Yeah, Fraggle Rock. But that, Wasn't was, he... that was PBS. That was PBS? Yeah. Wow. Fraggle Rock was definitely darker than the Muppets and the uh, Sesame Street. Yeah. Like, it was a much darker, I mean... The, the funny thing was, was like, so you start the show, it's the old guy in his mm-hmm. office with the dog, and the dog's like, dude, there's these fraggles living in my... Like mice? Mice, like, basically, uh-huh. and it's kind of a world of, of mice and what they do down there. Yeah. And I mean, there was a monster trying to eat them and kill, kill all the fraggles. That does seem pretty dark. I remember as a kid that I wanted to watch Fraggle Rock, but I never got the opportunity. Yeah, it always it. followed Sesame Street, so like, it was kind of one of those, oh, you know, I already finished Sesame Street, so I might as well... Right. Watch Fraggle Rock, or usually, or sometimes there would be like repeats that came after Mr. Rogers. Or, mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it'd usually be on. I kind of ignore it after the after the song. I'd kind of kind of ignore it because the the Fraggle Rock song was amazing. Yeah, I remember just watching the intro to Fraggle Rock. If we can, yeah. Here, give me just. A yeah, if we I'll, can find uh, it, I'll pop it up for you. So if you guys don't know or haven't heard. Uh, the Fraggle Rock theme song. It is they they've uh, I actually uh... so here check out the intro. It's got the whole intro on here. The lighthouse. 
Yeah, they lived in a lighthouse. Here we go. Into the lighthouse. See, there's the old guy and the dog. Mm-hmm. Snacking on fraggles. They wanted to eat them. Yeah, nope, that would that would definitely keep me inside. But see, you kind of see how there's that giant world underneath. Mm-hmm. So I mean that Jim Henson seems to like creating mystical, you know, worlds. mystical worlds underneath other other things. And it's kind of funny that it that, that exists underneath the lighthouse. Especially since it's surrounded by water. You're like, mm-hmm. where did all of this area come from? Because normally water would you know, rush right. into underneath underworlds, I, unless it goes away from the lighthouse as opposed to right underneath the water. But you know, we don't know. That's just kind of the they had their own water systems. Very seems like very smart little creatures living inside of your uh, your wall. Yep, exactly. Um, but going on, uh, would you pay? How much money would you pay for your own movie? Like to make a movie? Yeah, to make your own movie. Um, if I had, uh, I'm, you know, if it's, I don't know, are we think talking blockbuster or indie, indie film? Hmm. Whichever. Like okay. if, if you had a movie plan that you really wanted to get done, whether you think it would maybe it'd feel better in an indie film, but then you, you also had that, that hope that maybe this could be turned into a blockbuster. I How mean, much money would you put down? I mean, to, to if I think it was going to be a blockbuster, I'd want to spend as little possible, maybe like 50 to a hundred grand. Okay. Because, you know, because then if it blows up and I can make millions, my investment is a much greater profit. profit. Yeah. Whereas, you know, those people like, you know, Avengers spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars dollars and it only, you know, bankrolls like 50 in the box office. Right. I mean, I I don't know how much it was for Black Panther, but they're lucky they made over a billion dollars. Right. They got, you know, they got their money back and could pay off everything. Mm -hmm. But those movies that spent, you know, those, uh, Studios that spend you know hundred million on a picture and then only make seventy at the box office are totally screwed. Cause... Right, because you're out of like thirty million dollars out of that. Yep, which which is why when I if I were to make a movie, I'd want to spend as little as possible, go out find a house or find an area that no one's going to charge me to use, mm-hmm. or so that way my money that I spend goes towards actors, crew, and and. Uh, talent you know you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the actors crew and direct you know that those people and they're not going towards production because once you own a camera it's not like film anymore it's not like you're going out and buying reels of film anymore right it's... or you're not you're not spending money you know 
at, or you're not not editing, but uh, developing all the film. You're not taking that time and effort that it takes to develop it mm-hmm. and cut it and stuff like that. Yeah, it takes time to do it on a computer, but it, I would say it's comparatively easier right. to edit on a computer than it would be to cut physical film yeah. and edit. So, I mean, you could spend so much less money mm-hmm. on on a movie as long as you're not as long as your money is directed towards paying people for helping on your movie as opposed right. to filming costs. Well, that was like uh, if you ever heard of uh, Gareth getting sidetracked but uh gareth edwards his first movie that he directed was a movie called monsters back in like yep. 2009 yep, it was just movie. him and another guy and yep. he only spent like thousands of dollars like ten thousand dollars or so to make that movie yeah well like kevin smith's clerks was uh twenty seven thousand. that was it that was all on all, all the money for him went to film mm-hmm. like the, the film canisters the editing on sound and stuff like that mm-hmm. actors really didn't even get paid on that movie it was more just because that movie was in black and white wasn't it yep, it was in black and white so i mean everything yeah i mean no one really got necessarily paid on it it was just an indie movie that was gonna be that they made it for them and it wound up being a cult classic a cult classic yeah just like just like this i think i think you spend less money on movies mm-hmm. the more the better profit that you're gonna well, get the profit, in the and i think more people respect less money made on or spent on a movie too mm-hmm. you know what i mean like because you, you spend less money on a movie they're gonna know more heart and soul went into it and he just didn't do it for the money right you know what i mean like the actors that were in it were like i don't want five million dollars for this movie i'll do it for Twenty thousand, right? Or, you know, I, I just did this because I I liked the project. I liked what it was going the towards the people and the people, and yeah. that's what I want. And obviously, you don't have to pay Muppets, so that yeah, that's kind of helpful for this <laughs> yeah. for this uh, movie. Uh huh. Because it goes on to saying, uh, Henson paid fifteen million dollars of his own money to buy the film from its studio. So I guess it wasn't going towards the money for like. To make the movie, so the studio popped the money then for the movie because they had the rights for it. Yeah, was that because the Muppets, like the Muppet franchise, was owned by? It could have been. I it goes. If, I wonder if the Muppet franchise was owned by Warner. Or did you say Warner Brothers or just the movie studio? It just, just says studio. studio. So I'm guessing the studio that they worked with owned the the rights mm-hmm. for all that. And that's, I'm guessing you just really, really, really wanted to own this movie then. Yeah, because it says ITC Entertainment had new leadership in the form of Robert Holmes, a court who gave the film little advertising after its bad first screening. Worried his baby wasn't going to get the chance it deserved, Henson spent all of the money he had available to buy this movie from court. Jeez. The movie came in, in third in its opening weekend, losing to Tootsie and the Toy. <laughs> but the movie that was made on a $15 million budget eventually ended up making $40 million at the box office. $15 million to make that Dark Crystal. In 1982? That's crazy. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Especially for a puppet movie? Right. I mean, jeez. I mean, movies nowadays, like... That movie Driver X, mm-hmm. you ever see that movie? No. It was at the Twin Cities Film Festival. No. Uh-huh. Made on 50000 I mean, It was literally a dude driving around in a car. Yeah. That, that was the movie. I mean, I guess you don't have to spend too much money on it. And dude used the director's house. All the house scenes are done at the director's house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, see, that's what I'm saying. I mean, where, I mean, I guess if you're, what, see, that's the one thing I hate about Hollywood. How do you, darn it, you know, how do you, give people the time you know how do you pay people for time on set like where's that number mm-hmm. 
come from. I get like when you work at like Best Buy or work somewhere, you get, you know, per hour, that's your, that's your rate. But how is someone's time that like, you know, I'm guessing, so Jim Henson probably made, I mean, if you've, let's say the movie broke even, mm-hmm. how much money would he have gotten paid? Right, because you got to split that up. With with everyone. That's, yeah. That, the crew, the, I mean, that's just a crazy budget. I mean, I guess, I don't know, I guess I'd have to look at the numbers and see how many people were actually working. On the film on itself. On the film itself, you know, and seeing where that money would have been divided. Because most right. crew members would make minimum 250 um, a day. Like that's about that's the bare minimum I think for a SAG film is two fifty a day. Okay. Which you know depending on how many crew members you had or what their role is. Mm-hmm. I mean they might have been making five hundred dollars a day, six hundred dollars a day. Right. But that's just I mean that's just so insane to me, like that they, that you can make that in a day. Right. When I make you know, you know twelve hundred every two weeks and it's like God all I sit at a desk and do so much more work. <laughs> and I, it's like actors are having so much more fun. These crew guys seem to be having right. so much more fun doing. Right. You know, yeah, that's, I mean, just like I was thinking about it too. I was like, well, what I make in two weeks? And then it's like, what I make in a month? It's like, sure, like I, I might be like making less as like a side actor or an extra. Yeah. Some like a side gig. But it's like, even if it's like the smallest profit, you're still doing something that you enjoy and you're having yep. fun about. Um, well, if I could, if I could do two hundred and fifty dollars a day for five days a week, mm-hmm. more than I'm making every two weeks. And then if you had a steady schedule of doing that constantly, then it's just like I'd love to, dude. That would be one fun thing to do. Just be like a a career extra. Like you don't want to make a lot of money. You don't mm. really care about the money. You just want to be on set and be in in stuff. To be a career extra, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, just to. You know, maybe, you know, try not to be as hidden as some extras are. Like, some extras are more real extras. They're just kind of background fodder. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to be an extra where I'm kind of, like, in a room, like, around the main celebrities. Yeah. I'm on camera. I might not have words, but I'm on camera. And, you know, that'd be kind of fun. Well, there was, like, uh, I forgot what his name is, um, but he was an extra. He was in The Equalizer with Denzel Washington as one of the henchmen at the very end. Um, He was the... The one with the beard that he was fighting in, like, the makeshift bathroom setup. And he ended up getting, like, uh, stabbed with the glass. Um, he was in Jurassic World when they're hunting down the uh, uh, the new dinosaur on the motorcycles. Oh, okay. And Blue and everyone else uh, turned on the humans. Yep. And then he was one of the henchmen slash bodyguards in the first John Wick movie. Oh, when nice. John Wick went to the clubhouse to kill his son, but then he got away, so he was shooting up the joint, and he was on the top floor, and there's that one where he, he grabbed the guy by the beard and threw his head onto the table and then shot him in the head. Yep. I was like, this guy's been... And he was in, like, the new Jumanji movie. And then he was like... I saw something that he was, like, in Westworld, and then he was, like, uh, in a Ron Perlman show on uh, Amazon. I was like, this this dude is like literally saying nothing, but you instantly recognize him, probably See, because of his beard. Yeah, but See, that'd be awesome. Just be a well known extra, and you're just you're just getting paid for. It. Like people are just calling up. Yeah, can you just 
All right, what do we got? What more do we got? We got another uh, got another franchise to hit. We do. I will say this though. Uh, got one more thing. One more thing. A sequel right. has been in the works for a while. Oh really? Which I mean, of what you see with the Incredibles and Incredibles too, but it you has know, been reported. That so it's so it's considered a sequel, not a remake. Yeah. Hopefully, right. I, I would be so upset if they decided. To I guess I'd have this. to see the ending of the Dark Crystal to see how a sequel could could populate itself. Right. It goes on to saying it has been reported that Jim Henson's children and some of the original creative term, I'm pretty sure they mean team, but have been working on The Power of the Dark Crystal, a sequel for many years now. Director Shane uh, left the project because executives wouldn't allow him to follow through on Henson's handwritten notes and what he wanted for the sequel. So Henson did want a sequel. He did want a sequel, but at least we may not be getting a sequel, but in 2019, Netflix... They might have they might have like passed on the idea of a sequel for the time being, but for Netflix in 2019 we're getting a prequel television oh, cool. series right. of the Dark Crystal. Well, maybe I'll watch the prequel first. I know it sounds like blasphemy watching a You'd prequel. You'd have to wait a year. A... All right, maybe I'll just pick up the original <laughs> yeah. and just watch it. <laughs> if you can hold off that long. Yep. All right. All right. So that's let's go from Alien World. To Hyrule. Hyrule. Now he's. This character has been in in countless countless video games. He's been in different video games. Uh, he's been in cameos in video games. Yes, he's been in Super Smash Brothers. He's in the new Mario Kart. Yep. Um, you know him as Link. Not Zelda. Not Zelda. A lot of people. I know. I got that confused as a kid. I thought it was he was Zelda, but. Zelda is the princess. Zelda is the princess, and she is in another castle. No, yes. that's never how it worked in Zelda. She no. was always in the is one this, castle. Is this a Mario game? Like, <laughs> I think uh, that's what they kind of were thinking it was going to be, and it, that's not how it turned out. No, because it all it it is that for all the games Zelda is that the premise? Because I'm right now to uh, save the princess. To save the princess, because right now. Uh, I'm playing Link to the Past on the yep. Super Nintendo Classic, and that that's the premise. It's no, no, it's not the premise because you're already aware with the the princess. But it, in Ocarina of Time, you have to save her from Ganondorf or yep. So Ganon. So yeah, the 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 Link is often given the task of rescuing Princess Zelda. Mm-hmm. So. That's what is uh, often. That's what it is. Is he's rescuing the princess? Same thing like Mario and Peach and yeah. Um, one cool but thing. It, yeah. What were you gonna? I say? I was gonna say it wasn't called Legend of Peach. Well, it was yeah. called Mario. Mario got the Mario. title. Yeah, it wasn't Mario it not all it. about Peach. It wasn't all about Peach, even though that's what he was doing. It wasn't all about Peach. It was. It was about Mario, and he was walking. All the way through different castles and Bowser's Yeah, at least castle. Zelda got a horse in the, uh, what was it, Twilight Princess. He got a horse. He could ride yep. everywhere on a horse. But I yep. think he's been walking for a very long time as well. That's that's good. Getting some exercise. Yeah. Getting those extra steps. Uh, I did not know this. Um, that uh, how the game, the idea of The Legend of Zelda came to be. Do you know? I don't. Uh, Miyamoto not only created Donkey Kong and the Super Mario Brothers, but he was also the creative force behind Zelda. All right. Uh, inspired by the time he spent as a child exploring a miniature cave system he found in a dark hole near his town, 
He wanted to create a game that was focused on exploration instead of just racking up points. Yep, there we go. See, artifacts. Finding artifacts and saving princesses. This right. He's a baller. He must have really loved. I wonder if there was a girl interested in his life. Where he was like, man, she seems so obtainable. Trapped by a monster. Right. Or an evil beast of some sort. Right, that he saw as just like some... some, You know, like Bowser. Yeah, or, some uh, ordinary human. But then he had like this imagination of this this dude was a beast. Or this. Ganon. Ganon's the bad guy in, in Zelda. Yep. So, I mean, that that's... I mean, it's probably... I mean, it seems like a lot of creation. A lot of movies. A lot of video games. Mm-hmm. Seems like the creation of someone's state of mind yeah and and back before all this pop culture and all Mm -hmm. this stuff i mean you basically wrote stories and wrote stuff based off your own personal experiences yeah so it could have been he was like god there's this girl i really want Uh and this beast bowser because you know that was his real name because he's japanese right yeah it's like bowser is at it's holding my princess hostage Uh and he keeps taking her to a different castle no that's probably not what it was but He was probably trapped in a giant (laughs) castle of some sort and needed to protect him. So, from what I read about Zelda Mm -hmm. is is the uh, relic and or artifact Mm -hmm. um, known as Triforce. Yep. Is the going rate of what Link is after as well Mm -hmm. in the games to try and save... The three triangles. The three triangles. That form into... The Triforce of Wisdom. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a nice little. Uh, I'm not wearing it. I should totally be wearing it. But I got my Triforce band mm-hmm. that I have, usually have on my wrist. So you know those uh, um, bracelets, the you know the tennis bracelets. Yeah, all those the rubber ones. No, no, no. The all the, oh, the sweatbands. Sweatbands. Yeah. yeah, I got some of those. And it's it's got the Triforce. Triforce on right on it. Because in is it Orcriana of time or is that just. I'm saying it wrong. Is Orca- it Orcana? Orcana. Orcana. It's not Orca like a whale. Because in that game, don't you have to uh, collect one at a time? Yep. Yeah, you collect them all. Gotta collect them all. Collect them all, Pokemon. Yeah, in Orcana of time, playing instruments is a core part of the game. Uh, with the player needing to play instruments through the use of the game's controller to succeed. That's right. That was one where you can actually blow into the controller for certain things. Which controller was that? That was, uh, was it GameCube? Or the Wii? No, it must be. That can't be that old. The Wii? Was it the Wii? Was it... Because according to this, that's what it says, right? Oh, no! Was it... It was the Nintendo... It was the DS. It was the Game Boy, right? That you could blow into it? You could blow into it. That? Because I... Was it for the DS? I never played it for the DS. Um, cause that was one of the things of uh, like if in one of the Zelda games, I think it was like the Wind Waker, where you could interlink your DS or your Game Boy Advance to the GameCube. Yep. And you could play cross the yeah. Um. One of the one things that I found cool was the darkest timeline. According to the Hyrule Historia, the events of Ocarina of Time causes history to split into three. Kind of like the Triforce. Yeah. One path is where Link defeats Ganon and remains there. Another for when Link defeats Ganon and goes back into the past. And the third where 
Link just gets whooped by Ganon. Oh, okay. Just loses yeah. and loses Zelda. And yep, that's no one wants be, that story. That's got to be one of those. Uh, it's got to be one of those worlds. You got to have one. There's always one. There's always one that he can't always be he on. Can't top. always win. But yeah, Zelda um, has to be has to have the world record for most game releases. They are at uh, nineteen. 19 games. Because it's Legend of Zelda, then it was Link to the Past. Um, and then, hey, did they come out with a Game Boy one? Uh, yeah, so so they've been also probably on most on the most systems ever, too. So you're on uh, SNES, mm-hmm. Super NES, Game Boy, mm-hmm. Nintendo 64, Game, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advanced, Game Cube, Wii, Nintendo DS, Nintendo 3DS, mm-hmm. Wii U, and Nintendo Switch. Switch. Holy so crap. the first release was Legend of Zelda, February 21st of 1986. Mm-hmm. The most recent release was is the Legend, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, March 3rd, 2017. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're looking at 30 years. And it's still strong. And it's still strong. People, People are still... still love Legend of Zelda. So, I mean, 19, so it's not one a year. Mm-hmm. But it's... They're taking their time with yeah. coming out the next game. Because wasn't it like... I think it was more technology. Because the first ones came out like year after year after year. Yeah. And then it kind of was like, okay, let's just release one every system. Instead of... Yeah. Because I think uh, The Legend of Zelda came out in the late 80s. 86, the 87. <laughs> the original? Yeah. 86. 86. And then the link to the past was uh, like ninety one, or something like that. Uh, that oh here we go. Oh, link to the past ninety one. And then uh, and then it, okay, so link to the past was ninety one. Link's Awakening ninety three, and then it's five years before Ocarina of Time comes out. Yep. And then Majora's Mask was after that. That was another two years. That yep. one I never played. Yeah, I didn't play that one. Played Wind Waker. Uh, Twilight Princess, uh, Phantom Hourglass, and then I kind of st- really stopped after that because I never had the systems really to 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 play it on on them. I mean, the most recent one, Breath mm-hmm. of Wind, uh, Breath of the Wild. I don't have a Switch, so, right? So I can't play that. I want a Switch. Yeah, so do I. I've, I re- I've played on a Switch, and it's they've really upped the ante with their system i know everything i mean it's all two-handed motion kind of mm-hmm. like the playstation vr like but it's a lot smaller which is kind of cool it's almost like the uh oculus rift yeah like controls because it's really small and kind of grips in your hand they've definitely improved on their hardware too the graphic wise on the switch is is pretty good and uh the last zelda game i played was uh wind waker and uh, i remember playing that for the first time being very confused from going from uh, Nintendo 64 and seeing that one and then now you're like a smaller cartoony Link. Yep. So yeah, you, you want to hear a fun fact? So mm. the first Legend of Zelda game was not for the SNES. It was for the uh... Fan- Famicom Disk System. Now was There's it... There's a picture of it. I'll post this on uh, our Facebook, but... Yeah, because there is... I was reading uh, that uh, it was almost on floppy disks. That'd be kind of funny. Playing it on a computer? Yeah, because... Uh... Look at that family computer. Holy! Crap. It was made by Nintendo. Like it was, it was made by Nintendo, and yeah, it mm-hmm. looks like it looks like it's a three point five millimeter disc. Man, I wonder if this thing exists anywhere. I don't think I've ever physically seen one of these. 
anywhere. There is. I've seen in YouTube videos of these stores in Japan that have just like just bundles of Game Boys and Nintendo 64s and GameCubes and hardware for them and I'm old original Nintendos that look actually in like pristine condition because uh yeah original game was originally set to launch on floppy disks and would allow players to use that memory storage to create and share dungeons nice in the original game though. so you could so it was like the first almost the first like cross multi cross play type cross play of... thing with but through internet or yeah I don't well if it was on floppy di- oops if it was on floppy disks, I'm sure that maybe you could, if your friend had the system or computer that would allow with the floppy disk, that you could bring your floppy disk over or something like that. Oh, yeah. And do it that way. But, man, things would have been different, I would imagine, if they would have gone that direction. Yeah, that is really crazy. But to share dungeons? Like, does that mean, like, they would have to, like... Was it more like a... Uh... A role playing game than a. It know. must have been. Because really share weird. dungeons, like, were you able to create your own dungeons? Not it, that I can remember. Right, because it just said uh, to use that memory source to create and share dungeons. So I don't know exactly, like, how far they would have gone if they would have gone the route of floppy disks. Yeah, that'd be kind of crazy, especially since there really wasn't internet back then. Right. And you couldn't, I mean, maybe you could hook up to the internet like a computer. There was like some sort, yeah, some sort of connection you could have hooked up to. To make that happen. Right. All right, so as far as artifacts go on uh, Legend of Zelda, I mean, there really isn't much. Isn't much. I haven't found much in my hunt for for it i mean Mm -mm. the triforce relic is the biggest one that stands out Out than anything else that we found yeah i mean uh ganon wants to wield it and zelda or link wants to take it away from him and uh keep it out of uh harm's way you don't want it in the in 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 bad hands like you want uh thanos with the infinity gauntlet why do all artifacts seem to be dangerous and dangerous just stay away from artifacts yeah stay away just stay away i mean even like i mentioned earlier indiana jones tried going for an artifact almost rolled over by a A giant boulder right i mean it seems like in all these worlds they want to protect and hide artifacts away from everyone so no bad people can't find them it's just destroy them so i think i think what we need to do is stop making artifacts yes I think, I think that the, would be a The smart moral move. of the story is... Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Don't make anything dangerous. Right. Think about what you're making. Think and about the it, consequences, the pros bad, and cons. If it's bad, don't make it. I mean, if it's a necklace that that has powers, mm-hmm. you know, like the in the DC Legends of Tomorrow, they're going after the, the necklaces, the, art, the necklace artifacts mm-hmm. that have power, wield powers. I mean, unless you know it's not going to be taken away. Right. Don't make it. Yeah. If if it's not something that's within you. Yes. Keep superpowers within you. Right. Do not make external things to give you superpowers. Right. Because it could go into the wrong hands and then you've got yourself an enemy. Yes. And you don't want your enemies having your powers. No. Or artifacts. Because then people will die. Or make artifacts like okay, so there's there's like the Indiana Jones type artifact. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. even Indiana Jones, they were looking for the the uh, uh, 
the guy, the thing that had the face melty, mm-hmm. the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. I mean, that artifact, you open that up, melts your face. Don't, yeah, keep your eyes closed. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, okay, so if you find a dangerous artifact, mm-hmm. don't open it. Yeah, that's that's the smart thing. Put it on your shelf. If you know it's dangerous and you read about it, why open it? Yeah, I mean, if you want it for decoration on your mantle or mm-hmm. in a museum, fine. But don't uh, open it up. Right. It's kind of like the people in the mummy that try going into the tomb. Greed. It's, That's what finding it is. It's all, it's all about money. That's... It's power and greed. It's what it comes down to is that people are easily influenced. Yep. Moral of the story, collect pop vinyls. Yes. Don't collect artifacts. No. All right. Well, Wow. That this was this was definitely one of the uh, toughest co- toughest uh, months that we've had. Was... Um, not I mean we we knew the franchises we knew they existed, but, but there's the a lot stuff of things on it. Yeah, like, we just didn't know. Wise. Unlike last month, where we knew everything about Back to the Future and and, uh, Sonic, and, and Sonic and all these other things. I mean, there were some things we didn't know, but we knew the majority of it. Right. So this was more of a learning experience for, for us, for all of us, for you. So, until next month, where hopefully we know a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Make sure to follow us on Facebook. at uh, Just type in Loot Time to find our uh, page. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram and Twitter, at Loot Time. You can email us, uh, LootTime at Yahoo.com. You can find us on the web at LootTime.Podbean.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts on Podbean. You can listen to all of our podcasts on iTunes Podcasts and Google Play Music. And Stitcher, mm-hmm. which is awesome. We're not quite on Spotify yet or TuneIn Radio, on it. but we are working on it. Um, contests. So by now, we've had two contests. So congratulations to the winners. We'll announce those uh, next month during uh, May, April. April. I no, wish May. It was It'd be May. for May because hopefully the snow is April. gone by then. Hopefully the snow in Minnesota is gone by then. Because we're in Minnesota, just to let you know. Um, but yeah, make sure to keep entering those contests, and we'll keep telling you where to find them. Right mm-hmm. now, it's on Mondays, every Monday, on Facebook. Um, hopefully, I can figure out a way to do Facebook Live on uh, on our page. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, my name's Steven Skolansky, so make sure you follow me on uh, Facebook right now. Just... Uh, Send me a friend request. I'll like it mm-hmm. um, and add it. Um, I'll figure out how to do Facebook Live on our loot time. Um, there has to be some way to, to do it. To they, do there it. should be a way to there do it. There should be a way to do it. I'll figure it out. But right now I've been doing it on my personal page and then linking it to our loot time page. Um, and then, our like I said, I'll do Facebook Live on our Instagram page as well. Or Instagram Live mm-hmm. on our Instagram page, not Facebook. Um, but yeah, come check us out. Um, rate review us when you listen to us on iTunes. We want to know what we're doing great, what mm-hmm. we're not doing great, what we could do better. That's what our email's for. So let us know. So until next month, I'm Steven Sklansky. I'm Kevin Ebner. And that's all the loot time we have. Go. <laughs> Da 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 da